4: Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: America Recovers is our podcast to help our listeners embrace change in their lives. So if you have a true emergency or need immediate attention, call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.
6: I was addicted to alcohol and meth and had an eating disorder before I found recovery 18 years ago.
5: My thing was cocaine,
6: booze, and opiates. Now I have multiple years of recovery. My name is Brad Lamb. I created a new style of intervention to get people into treatment voluntarily. I'm the founder of Breathe Life Healing Center and a six-time author.
5: I'm Mackenzie Phillips, and I'm an actress, a best-selling author, and I'm also the program director at Breathe. We're co-workers,
6: and now we're co-hosts. Helping those afflicted, addicted, or affected, one podcast at a time. This is America Recovers. Good day, listeners, and good day to you, Mackenzie. Hey there, Brad. Oh my God, it's so good to see you, Mac. And I'm in an especially good mood today because one of my favorite people on the planet is joining us for this episode of America Recovers. She's collaborated on a book with Dr. Bruce Perry. It's called What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. Oprah Winfrey, welcome to America Recovers. You're on with Mac and me. Well,
7: hey, well, hey Mac. Hey, Oprah. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, so... I'm happy
7: to, this, this is my favorite subject these days. And thank you for helping me to broadcast and illuminate it.
6: Well, it's certainly been something that we've talked about for years as we work with people who are traumatized. And it's so great that the, the language of and understanding of trauma is changing. And I walked into the clinic the other day and a patient was sitting in the lobby, Oprah, with, with the book on her, on her lap. And I just smiled oh, and our wow. eyes met. And, and I said, it's pretty great, isn't it? Because it sure resonates uh. with what we do here. Um, how are you finding the book Connecting?
7: Well, I find so many people have responded to it in a positive way and now being able to ask themselves that question of what happened to me and peel back the layers for themselves and also... Look at family members. Look at friends. Look at other relationships with people who, for whom they have not understood why certain people behave that the, the way they do. Why there's this erratic behavior or outbursts or, you know, inability to respond to authority and all kinds of uh, issues that get explained when you begin to probe that question uh, as deeply as you can of what happened to. You. So I'm seeing that response. And I'm also seeing the response to the Me You Can't See series on Apple TV Plus, where people feel that we have, through the multiple spectrum of stories of mental illness, identified what speaks to them in a language that they didn't even know was available. So I I, I feel very, very pleased um, at. The response. I was concerned in the beginning, Mac and Brad, about the book. I wanted to write the book and put, give my my name and um, platform to it because I think the work is so important. And so I was doing an interview with Dr. Bruce Perry about three years ago in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we were talking about a. Uh, An institution called St. A's, which takes in orphaned children, children with behavioral disorders, children who have um, been thrown out of foster care and so forth, and they use this trauma-informed care approach. And one of the things Dr. Perry said to me in that 60 Minutes interview that just gave me such a big aha uh, about trauma, he said, oftentimes, so many children are thrown out of school, particularly young black boys because they are labeled with ADHD and then are considered behavioral problems. And they get the first suspension, the second suspension, third. Now they're expelled. Now they're out of school. They're roaming the streets. Then begins the spiral downward to some institution for, you know, taking care of bad boys. And what people should be
5: asking is not what's wrong with these children, but, but what, what happened, happened to them. To them.
8: Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Absolutely. It, it brings to mind Gabor Mate, who says, uh, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. What happened yeah. to you that makes that... Your, your, your answer, you know, and Oprah, you've been working with, with Dr. Bruce Perry, you know, for years now. And, and I know that you say that he knows stuff about trauma that really nobody else really gets. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in what that is, but I'm also interested in. You know, I know you've sort of reframed your view on mental health and trauma and um, adverse childhood experiences in a way, and how does that change how you view your childhood experiences?
7: Well, asking this question of what happened to me, of what happened to you, and asking that of myself, Mac, has really opened up my view of what I thought I already knew about my life. And what I understand, what I come away from that opening is a sense of deep gratitude and appreciation for the journey. You know, there's a wonderful uh, Black spiritual that says, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now, for my journey now, for my journey now. Maya Angelou even uh, named one of her poetry books, wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. And so it really affirmed the journey that I've been on, why I had the fears and anxieties at one point uh, that I did. I didn't even know the I't even know to call it an anxiety. So I tell the story about for years not being able to sleep well. And um, in 1988, I think it was, there was a school shooting in outside of Chicago and Lake Forest. And after that shooting, The principal said he was not going to put chains on the doors as the parents were demanding that he chain the doors. And the principal said he wouldn't chain the doors because it would send the message to the students that they were not safe. And I was reading that in my car and started to cry. And couldn't. I was like, whoa, that principal, how wise is that? And triggered a memory of me being under six years old, because I got sent away at six, in bed with my grandmother in rural Mississippi, and my grandfather coming into the into the bedroom at night and standing over the bed trying to strangle her, and because I slept with my grandmother, I, I felt her fear, and she tr- pushed him off of her and um, managed to call down down the road to this this uh, gentleman who lived down the road that we call cousin Henry. So she was like Henry, <laughs> Henry. So in the night blind Henry comes down the road from our house which was like over a mile away in the in this rural country mississippi and helps my grandmother put him back to bed and they put a chair underneath the doorknob and tied some tin cans around the chair and that's the way i slept for until i left mississippi and i always slept waiting to hear the cans move. And I didn't know until reading that article about the principal not putting the chains on the door. Oh, those were the chains on the door. The can ten cans is what made me feel unsafe sleeping. And why at, you know, in my mid thirties, I was terrified. Being alone at night, even though I had a doorman and I had security, and you know, I tell the story of literally one night being alone, Sedman not there, getting up and going to check myself in a hotel because I felt safer in the hotel than being in my home.
5: Right. So our nervous systems, really, we're we're sort of. I mean, I can only speak for myself. I'm sort of geared for uh, activation because of ha- having so many adverse childhood experiences. And so I know that a lot of my life, I kind of tiptoed around going, am I safe now? Am I safe now? Is this safe? Is that safe? And it's sort of the same thing. And the, 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 the body remembers... The feeling more than the mind or the thoughts remember the event really because the body gets traumatized. Right, right, right. It lasts. It has echoes. It has echoes. And then you think, Oh my God, I finally dealt with this and everything's pretty cool. Now I'm feeling pretty good. And then, you know, you get re re-tr- triggered again. And it's like, wow, I thought I had passed mm-hmm. that already. You mm-hmm. know, do you still feel echoes of it today?
7: I, you know, I don't feel echoes because I think. You know, actually writing What Happened to You with Dr. Perry clarified so many things for mm-hmm. me. You know, for years, I felt like I got sent away to Milwaukee just as I was turning six and was going into kindergarten. And why did my grandmother do that? What what happened? Well, I came to understand that my grandmother became ill, there was an accident, and she could no longer take care of me, so I got sent Mm. away. And for years, I resented that. And suddenly, in the writing of What Happened to You, I realized, oh, if I hadn't been sent from apartheid, segregated Mississippi Mm -hmm. just before I started school, I would have been in one of those schools, sitting in a classroom, being taught that I was less than the other students because of the color of my skin. And it happened just at the moment that I was supposed to move and go into kindergarten. And as as it happened, I've told the story. um, One of my favorite stories is walking into kindergarten. My grandma didn't really know how to read, but she knew the Bible. And so she taught me about Jesus, and I knew a lot of big words. So the very first day of kindergarten, I walk in with a mixed-race classroom. Mixed classroom of black kids and white kids, and I felt no inferiority whatsoever. I felt actually superior because I wrote my kindergarten teacher a letter, using saying, "Dear Miss New, I do not belong here. I know a lot of big words, and I wrote every <laughs> every Bible term. I wrote Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all of it." She takes me to the principal's office and says who wrote this and they make me write it again and then I got moved to the first grade. So none wow. of that would have happened if I had been sitting in a Mississippi school with, you know, my brown skin mm-hmm. and being taught by, you know, in in a culture that just saw you as less than. I would have had a very different attitude because I am very susceptible to other people's opinion and certainly was at that age. It's the reason why I now know I was sexually assaulted because I was always, I had no boundaries. I was always just trying to please whatever grown up or authority figure was around me so I wouldn't have to get a whipping. So I now know that that, that moment of being sent away was really my
9: rescue. I started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder...
8: people quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest.
8: Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people
6: Oh,
5: whoop, you bet, the, man. You know,
6: an inch of our hide. And
5: my mom preferred uh, wire hangers and uh, belts, and she would snap the belt and say, Laura Mackenzie Phillips, snap. And I would just start shaking. It was terrifying.
7: And it's not only terrifying, Brad and, and Mac. It's so humiliating. Mm-hmm. I remember doing a show years, years later, and we were talking about this idea, do you spank your kids? Mm. Uh, and uh, I remember a black woman standing up in the audience because it's certainly a part of the black culture. And I never knew that white kids ever got hit. I thought, you know, white kids were just what I saw on television. Leave it to Beaver's mom, never hit him. Mm-hmm. Beaver's mom. So. And I remember saying, and this woman says, well, how are you going to have good kids if you don't whip them? And I said, well, what if I just hit you right now? (laughs) She goes, well, I would hit you back. And I said, but even if you hit me back, what would you feel because you were hit? Even if I didn't hurt you, what would you feel? And she said, shame, yes. And that, uh, imagine being four. And when I now look at little four-year-olds and five-year-olds, and de- you, 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 just can't imagine putting a, 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 as you say, a belt or a lash, or for me, or it was an like extension, little,
6: cord or or an a, extension cord or an extension cord or a, or a rod, you know.
7: And what being hit one time does to your psyche, not to mention it's a regular thing. You know, if you mess up in any way. And you're sometimes gonna,
5: you're going to get it. You're
7: going to get it. You're yeah. going to get it. Yeah. You're going to get it. And what that teaches you about yourself, you know, one of the things Dr. Perry says in this book, you don't get what you need from your parents. Number 1, you don't get the respect that you you know inher- innately that you deserve, it changes who you are. That's so right. I I am
5: it. you get the idea that you are bad. You are inherently wrong.
7: That's right. So, because you see yourself through the eyes of those who who care about you, they are reflecting back your identity to you. And so, you know, most importantly, though, what struck me is uh, what he says. I think in in this book uh, about um, it, it's zero to two months. That if in the first mm. two months you don't get. W- what you need your cries are not answered there's chaos there's disruption there's you know uh so much dysfunction around you your brain doesn't form the synapse in your brain doesn't form the same as it does for other people and that zero to two months crucial because that's we all know you're just malleable you're just taking everything in and so many times i have interviewed parents women who were in the midst of domestic violence in their relationships, who always would say, when the kids get older, I'm going to move out. When the kids get older, when in fact, most of the damage has already been done by the time that child is six. And so when you, particularly what Dr. Perry explains is when you don't have the language to explain whatever the trauma is that's happening to you, it becomes embedded in a different way than when you do have the language to say, oh, this is what happened to me. So you carry it. It never, ever goes away. It is always there.
6: What have been the, the most significant tools then that you've used to reframe trauma in your own life as through this process?
7: Speaking the truth, mm-hmm. I think for everyone who is listening to us right now, it begins with um, what you're doing at Breathe, what you're doing with all the work that the both of you are doing. It begins with being able to say, this is what happened. Yes. And that you are not defined by the thing that happened, but to be able to acknowledge that what happened did indeed happen. You know, uh, Bruce says so often people talk about this idea of resilience and, oh, kids will get over it. They're resilient. Kids will get over it. They're resilient. Mm-mm. When in fact, we should be looking at resilience, not like a Nerf ball, like you don't just automatically bounce back, but looking at it as though it's a hanger, a bend hanger that you're using to try to get something out of a drain or whatever. You can bend that hanger and, It can be resilient enough to be able to hang something on it after you've bent it, but the dents and indentions, the impressions that were made from the bending are still there. And it is the same with all of us. We have been bent through this pandemic. We have been put through a lot of grief whether you lost a loved one or not just grieving your life as you do it grieving not being able to go to school for so many kids grieving not being able to be with your loved ones grieving not being able to be hugged or touched yes uh and there needs to be an acknowledgment of what we have now come through this this as this time we start moving out of Uh, you know, being restricted and being masked. There needs to be an acknowledged of what did that mean for me and my life?
4: Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to
9: flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. it's always the feeling when you're getting ready. To, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you
10: ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver.
7: What I know is that this pandemic being isolated uh, because of COVID has put a magnifying glass on all of our lives. It's like been, it's intensified what is already there. I often say that is also the case with fame, as you know, Mm -hmm. Matt, is that, you know, fame doesn't change who you are. It changes other people's perception of who you are. And it's like having a big magnifying glass on your life. Constantly. And so I feel that what the pandemic did was intensify yes. to the 10th power every feeling that you were going through. So anything that you had is multiplied at least to the 10th power, and for some even more than that, because you know to, to be in a position where you have been able to take care of yourself, take care of your family, continue to work, and now suddenly thrown into A space where you can't even do that. And now you're supposed to manage your kids and keep the house going and and be be the the teacher. teacher. Yeah, exactly. It has been overwhelming for people. So back to your question, Brad, of how I have managed for myself in, 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 in terms of past traumas, I was saved by my voice. I was saved by being willing to share my stories early on. And so I had my therapy in front of everybody. And literally, it was on the Oprah Winfrey show. The very first time it happened, I was doing a show in Baltimore called People Are Talking, and a woman came on and was talking about her sexual abuse. It was like my story mirrored, and I could not believe it. I, 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 I sat there completely numb and couldn't even speak up. I went into the green room afterwards and I said to her, that's my story. You, you just told my story. It it, it it was my uncle too. And then it was somebody else. And then it was somebody else. I, I have the same story. And she said, why didn't you say something? And I said, I, I couldn't because I'm on t- TV. And she said, well, I'm on TV. And so I thought, Wow. I just didn't have the, I, I mean, first of all, I it, it was the first time at age 22 it ever occurred to me that there was another human being on earth that had also been sexually assaulted at, and raped at nine. So um, the next time it happened, I remember telling that story. Coming to, coming to Chicago, Brad, I had a great attorney who said, tell me everything that's ever happened so that we're not surprised. By some scandal later on. So I told him about this the, the, the sexual assault. And he said, never tell that story. You don't wow. want you don't want that wow. story out there.
5: Yeah, I've been told you don't that want too. That story out I've there. been told that yeah, too. You never,
7: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the next time it happened on television, somebody was sharing their story. I just said, Me too. All, that also happened to me. Hmm. And when I did that, the floodgates opened. I'm telling you, it's it's like one of those moments where the trajectory of what that show could be in people's lives changed because it was such a vulnerable moment for me and and, and exposing that part of myself allowed other people to see something in themselves and I'm telling you, just thousands, of, and this is in the days of snail mail. So just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of letters from people saying "me too," "me, me too, too," "me too," "me too," "me too," and so we then started doing shows about it. So over the course of uh, you know the Oprah Show, we did you know 250 shows about sexual
6: assault and abuse. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. That isolation, though, of of uh, uh, the assault closet. Where we're told don't talk about that either because the yeah. the perpetrator is a person in power or the family needs something from that person as is often the case. You know, I wonder do Mac, do you do you have any regret about going public with your story? I wonder, do you ever have tinges of regret, Oprah? Uh,
5: you know, I don't have regret no. growing public with my story. What I do regret is that, well, and it's not even a regret because America taught me something. After I appeared on on your show, Oprah, America taught me that I could not possibly have consented. It was something that I learned from my readers and from my people who who said they were just literally tearing their hair out when I used the word consensual. And I had to face the fact that I had been groomed. And and that I had mistaken consent for... Lifelong grooming. And so I, I, it is, I wouldn't necessarily call it a regret because it was a real learning experience for me. And I got to see the power and the strength. I mean, one woman said, honey, you didn't ask for an army, but you got one now. And I'll never forget that and so regret is a, probably a very strong word maybe i would have gone about it slightly differently with my family but i think you know i mean look I, it, like oh, i could, didn't
7: your uh, family just nearly uh, i heard your family had a very terrible reaction
5: oh yeah it was it was it was really brutal but um you know in the in the many years probably 13 years since then maybe something like that mm-hmm. um i am close with my family again and and they're very loving you know and it and it's changed back to a manageable relationship. It'll never be exactly what it was, but it's not. Can
7: they now see that it was groomed? I mean, yes. When it starts at an early age, it's so difficult for people. You know, you know. I, I tried in so many ways to get people to understand it. Your story, hundreds and hundreds of other stories, and I remember when I first started sharing that. You, you know. One of the reasons why children don't tell, because if the molester is any good, he is going to make the child, he or she is going to make the child feel like they were a part of it. That's what a good molester does, is makes you feel like you're a part of it. And it wasn't until I actually started interviewing mo- the molesters myself. I've interviewed, you That's know. That's the hard part is
5: when, you, when you're interviewing. I've seen some of those interviews with you, and it's. it's yes. It's, it's,
7: and it was one day where I was interviewing a molester, and a molester said, told me, told me and the entire audience how he groomed his stepdaughter, that he had he tried, that it was like a six month process. Just to get, he started playing games and then playing different games and then different games of where you could touch and then different games where you come have body contact. And then actually one day decided, I'm going to go for her breasts and I'm going to see if I get a reaction. And if I don't get a reaction, then I will go in deeper. And he got a reaction from this 13 year old girl and then goes, whoa, what are you talking about? I wasn't doing anything. He said, I went to the wife, which I always hate it when men objectify their wives I went to the wife and said to her, uh you know she got she got all upset and I was only playing and he says and I did that to try to cover my tracks and I never touched her again but moved on to her sister
5: We all end up feeling complicit in some way and that complicity that we end up feeling or that I ended up feeling. Uh, is just like that early childhood trauma that that resonates and echoes throughout a lifetime, and the work to quiet that echo and put sound baffles up that allow you to have freedom in your own path is um, magical and painful and redemptive, and um, and it, it's it's uh, it's something else to to uh, have the balls to go out there and and interview the perpetrators. Because that mm-hmm. that is, you know, most people really want to hear someone talk to the victim, you know. Yeah.
7: Well, the perpetrators actually say, "Help me!" I, yes, I, I have to say, yeah. Th- that that's how we—that's per- how we
5: learn, like profiling for serial killers is interviewing the perpetrator. Right? It's so well, amazing, the
7: perpetrator. You know, and all the years. Mac and Brad that I had been saying to people you know it's not your fault you're not your fault you know that's the standard line we all get it's not your fault I still at 40 something years old in the back of my mind went yeah I know it's not my fault but I did let him tickle me right I know it's my my fault but when he tickled me I was laughing and then when he started to put his hand on my knee I kept laughing I know it's not my fault but if I hadn't let me let him tickle me I didn't understand until interviewing the molesters, that the tickling was all a part of it. That's right. That, that was a strategy. That was the plan. So when that guy said that it was a, he had a six months pl- mo- six months plan, Phew. and that he started out playing games and games that where there was no touching or no contact, and then gradually moved into games where there was contact, and then games where there was more contact, and then there was more contact where I can actually rub up against your breast. I, it wasn't until then that I, I went. Oh, I get it. Yep. Oh, that whole that whole day had been planned. That whole day, he that was a strategy to get me my nine year old self in the bed and to have the tickling and the ice cream and the whole thing. So uh, there's a lot of benefit from being able to talk to people for how they do it and why they do it. I know everybody now, all the focus is on the victims, but Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from that process. And I think our audiences did.
5: I I know they did. And I got to tell you that that what you're doing with Dr. Perry and what you're doing with what you're saying right now, it helps us learn that uh, the shame is not mine to carry. Right. You know? that it's not mine to carry. And you know what? You can take your shame back. (laughs) Take your shame back because it's not mine to carry. You know, and it's a heavy, it's like carrying a rock around in a backpack, you know, and you carry it for so many years until you're just like, set me free, man, set me free. And talking about it and understanding where it comes from and why we carry it and and the idea that we were complicit Um, it's really freeing to say, oh, this isn't even mine to carry. I give it back.
7: Well, to be able to say, this is what happened to me. This is not who I am. Right. But this is what happened to me. And because that happened to me, I had certain feelings about going into relationships. I was apprehensive. It took me a long time to trust. It took me a long time to actually be intimate with someone. Yes. uh, and, And not just, you know, have sex, but just... Just to be able to open myself up to someone in such a way that I believed I could trust you to see the real me mm. and 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 vice versa. So I think that, you know, coming back to that question of what happened to you yeah. is essential in moving your life forward. You know, one of the best things I ever heard someone say to me is... Um, I had been doing interviews for a movie back in 1998 for the movie Beloved, and I interviewed with this reporter who said um, that I interviewed you 10 years ago, and you know what? You're really just the same person. You just become more of who you are and i said wow i'm going to put that on my tombstone because <laughs> because i think that's really what everybody is striving to be yes and that is more of who you are yes and every one of the things we talk about in what happened to you is the fact that all of your post traumatic wounds if you're open to allow yourself to step out of your history and have the willingness and desire and the courage to move your life forward you can t- turn those wounds into wisdom literally so using your post traumatic wounds to create post traumatic wisdom for yourself and that is why i wouldn't take nothing for my journey now because i think everything that happened to me every one of those whippings that i could not explain to my 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 year old brain um, has created more empathy for other people. Yes. Every single, you know, having come through sexual abuse, rape as a child, has opened me to such compassion for other young girls who mm. are in homes where they are, you know, being tormented—that's the first thing I thought about when we had to shut down back in March, oh, March sixteenth. Yes. It was for us. Oh, I just thought, how are these yes. kids who are being tormented going to survive this? Now they're captive. How are these kids? Yes. How are they going to? How are they going to survive it? So, um, wouldn't take nothing because what happened to you can actually become your greatest superpower if you let
5: it. Oh, and you got to let it because it changed my life walking into my truth and standing tall and it has been very meaningful for me and it's been very meaningful working with clients here at Breathe and... And bringing my my truth and my story with me everywhere I go, so that's incredible. Oh, you know, I just want to say one thing, Oprah. Have you ever heard the song "I Am Light" by India R E? Oh, I love it. Oh, okay. Yes, okay, yes, yes, Okay, good. Because yes, yes, yes. ever as you were talking, I'm going, wait a minute. Yes. Wait a minute. This is "I Am Light" by India R E. Yeah, uh, spoken by it. it's Oprah. So beautiful.
6: It's so yes. beautiful. Yeah. And I yes. know I know this to be true, Oprah, using a phrase that uh, you taught me. You've been giving people tools to live their best lives for so long and, and seeing this book and the the trauma lens and sort of a how-to to practice resilience and healing in a book form that only you can make accessible, I think, to, to more people. You know, it's, it's giving such a wide audience uh, an opportunity at what neuroscience tells us about how we can recover. So thank you for that. You know, I just, I love you for for being here with us today, but also for the work that you do and how much you mean to our family.
7: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you on behalf of Dr. Perry. You know, in the beginning, I was so concerned because we had Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of conversations and then converting those conversations into to book form. And many times, which we've taken out of the book, I'd say, explain that again. Could you explain it again <laughs> in 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 eighth grade English? Can you explain it again in eighth grade English? So I think being able to create a book with a neuroscientist who who explains the brain in a way that people can get it. I think that to me is means that we're moving in the right direction. And I'm very, very, very um, excited that people get to see themselves and begin to ask themselves that question. What happened to you?
5: I can't thank you enough for joining us today, Oprah Winfrey. Well, Thank you for make it happen. Thank you. Really, thank you both. really beautiful thing. Thank
7: you, Mac. I've never called you
5: Mac before.
7: <laughs> I know. It's always
5: been Mackenzie. Thank you. Oprah. Yes. Thank you, Brad.
6: You're welcome. What happened to you? Available everywhere books are sold.
5: That was amazing. Everybody please run out and get Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry's book What Happened to You? Mm. It's available everywhere books are sold. And I just want to thank you all for joining us today for this very special episode of America Recovers.
6: Thanks, Mac. I was a little nervous to talk with Oprah at first because um because she's Oprah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, yeah. And then I just reminded myself that you know the work that we do at Brief Life Healing Center is is uh, right in this lane. We're we're at the forefront of you know, suffering and trauma, and also the beautiful recovery of resilience. So uh, with that in mind, I I thought I would choose my wise words to end the show today with uh, these words from Oprah. Breathe, let go, and remind yourself that this very moment is the only one you know you have for sure. New episodes drop every Tuesday, friends. Onward we go.
5: We'd like to thank you for joining us for another episode of our podcast, America Recovers. As always, we'd like to thank our partners at Westbrook Audio and Scott Sanders Productions. Original music for America Recovers has been created by Calvin Linderman. Our podcast is engineered by the fabulous Josh Falcon, and audio is mixed and edited by Fitz Harris. Hey, change is easier than you think.
6: America Recovers is our podcast to help our listeners embrace change in their lives. If you have a true emergency or need immediate attention, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.
0: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford
1: And ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins.